Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades. Say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at Walgreens. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Donald Trump is now calling people vermin. This is something that the Nazis did and a really scary sign of authoritarianism. We have an amazing show today. ABC News's chief Washington correspondent, Jonathan Carl, stops by to talk to us all about his new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the grand old party. Then we'll talk to Brian Stelter about his new Fox News tell-all network of lies, the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump and the battle for American democracy. But first we have the host of the enemies list, the Lincoln Project's own Rick Wilson. Welcome to Fast Politics, Rick Wilson. Molly John Fast, back with you as always. <laughs> <laughs> Spinning the hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. <laughs> Here are the hits. Karl Rove <laughs> had a good idea the Democrats should do. And I'm talking about ballot initiatives. Rick Wilson, do a little TLDR on ballot initiatives in your former party, because you're a Democrat now. Sorry. Ballot initiatives are used by the Republican Party very frequently to do what we call shaping the battlefield. <laughs> and so... In 2004, and and remember, folks, try to look at this through the eyes of 2004. The Republican Party did a bunch of surveys. Rick Wilson is letting us into his naughty past. 
past. Continue, sir. My dirty, <laughs> dirty past. <laughs> Stories that it can includes. only be told after dark or here on Fast Politics. <laughs> or for people who still <laughs> love him despite his previously fascist leanings. Continue. I never had fascist leanings per se. Right, per se. It's like in South Park where they said, I'm not a sanguinary vampire per se. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So long story short, back in 2004, some very smart researchers, because by the way, Democrats never underestimate the fact that the Republican Party has a gigantic number of really fucking smart people working for it. It's something yeah. you fail on a lot and you think, oh, they must be all dumb bubbas. Right. Open their cousins. <laughs> now, there's a lot of fucking PhD numerical analysis right. people who do voter file analysis and polling. We call those people evil. Because, yes, continue that. Yeah, long story short, in 2004, there was a discovery made that a lot of conservative Democrats, including a lot of African-American women, were very turned off by the idea of gay marriage. Now, this was an era, by the way, where even Barack Obama was opposed to gay marriage and everyone else in the Democratic world was also opposed to gay marriage. The world changes. But, but, but Karl Rove said, hey, assholes, and the assholes were like a thousand guys like me, go out and I didn't actually do the ballot initiative in Florida. I I knew of it. I didn't pitch it. I didn't do it. I had a huge other thing I was doing. So long story short, the ballot initiatives went on the ballot at Florida, North Carolina, a couple other places banning gay marriage. This whole idea seems anathema to us now and repugnant and all that other business. But for politics at that moment, it gave Republicans, as specifically evangelical Republicans, a hook to talk to an audience they could never otherwise talk to, which was African-American evangelicals, African-American, like Baptist church ladies would be the shortcut, as we would say it in the South. The ladies with the fancy hats on Sunday. Okay, if you have never really like explored African-American church lady hats, it is an entire subculture in America. It is delightful. It is delightful, wonderful people. But they realized that was a weak part of the Democratic Party. They did. They found a hole in the Democratic base and they drove a truck through it. Now, it motivated white evangelicals through the roof because, of course, you know, they're white evangelicals. What else they want to do except make sure nobody else has an orgasm or enjoys their life? (laughs) Give everyone a gun and make sure they have to (laughs) carry a dead fetus. Jesus Christ. But for all that, these ballot initiatives ended up having a net positive effect for Republican turnout. This is a lesson Republicans have learned in many states over the years. They either exploit a Democratic ballot initiative to scare their people, or they build their own ballot initiative to motivate their people. Okay. What you're going to see right now is the Democrats have learned in Kansas, Ohio twice, Kentucky, and Virginia this in the last So since Dobbs passed in those states, okay, and in Wisconsin's, there's a lot of it in Wisconsin in 2022's statewide, but they've learned in every place it's been tested that the idea that Republicans are going, and it's not just about abortion itself, it's about them using the power of government to tell you how to live your life. They're going to tell you you can't travel. They're going to tell you you have to report your period to the state just in case you're using that naughty birth control. And they are expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. Government overreach. Right. The scope of power they want to apply to individual lives. And it's pissing people the hell off. I have a great story for you, Molly. I have not told publicly yet. I have a, we'll call this person at least an acquaintance. We'll call this person Liz Cheney. Continue. No, it wasn't Liz, but it's somebody who was traveling with Glenn Youngkin in the last week of the campaign. Okay? Right. Somebody who was a, a, a prominent person pro- traveling with, with Youngkin. And the description of this to me was was 
fascinating. And I knew, I didn't say it out loud, but I knew, I, I heard this about a week before, eight days before the election. This person said to me, when Youngkin's out there rah-rahing about they're going to kick the Democrats' ass and we're going to be a conservative state, he said the whole audience, they're going crazy. They're cheering. Everybody's going nuts because they also think Glenn Youngkin's going to be president someday, right? And then Youngkin would go and say, we're going to pass a 15-week abortion ban. And he said, the guys in the audience are like, yeah, you know, hands in the air, leaping out. And he goes, and every woman's face in the in the audience. And these are MAGA women. These are conservative women. He goes, you can see their faces like switch off like that. That look you know when you walk in the house and you've done something really fucking stupid. <laughs> and your wife says, we need to talk. That's the look. It was the we yeah. need to talk look. And it was killing Republicans. When you look at the math, okay, when you look at the math in Ohio, the, the number that you end up with at the end of the day by deductive math alone means that about 25% of Republican women crossed over to vote for this thing and probably more. Right. And it means about 60% of unregistered or independent women had to vote for this thing or probably more. So here's my question for you. This is like intellectual dishonesty comes home to roost, right? The party of small government is very involved with women's menstrual cycles, right? They really want to know exactly when you're going to have your cycle because obviously we can't have women out there using credit cards or bank accounts to perhaps buy an airplane ticket or drive a car to a state where they might possibly be able to violate the, the laws of Gilead or whatever the fucking. We're hitting like a fugitive slave act kind of moment here, right? Where we're seeing different states trying to uh, open the door to something where if we know, you know, if you drove someone to get an abortion and you live in Texas. The most fascinating piece of news out of this week was the Ohio Republican Party, the, the Speaker of the Republican House of Representatives, essentially on election night, his answer to a statewide ballot initiative that yes. passed with 57 yes. point something percent of the vote was, fuck you. Fuck you, women. Right, exactly. And here's the thing. If a state was run by Muslims expressing this kind of thing, Republicans would roll tanks through the fucking yeah, streets. they would. That's okay? Right. Yeah. Here's the thing. They have said our religious beliefs absolutely override the Constitution. Of the, of the United States, the courts of the United States, the constitution of their individual states, the courts of their individual states, the laws of their individual states, they have decided that they're going to pursue. And look, Molly, I think for years and years and years, I've said this a lot, the side that overreaches on culture war issues is the side that loses. Right. And that's what Republicans have done this whole time. And these people aren't like overreaching now. They're like bundling themselves up into a freight train, <laughs> slapping a bunch of coal in the engine, pushing the throttles to the maximum limit and crashing through a fucking daycare center. The insanity level has reached the point where a very thoughtful Catholic conservative friend of mine the other day said to me, he goes, I have fought for life for a long time, not with laws or not to overturn Roe, but to change hearts and minds and to make adoption more available and to make support services more available. And he said, I am in tears. He says, because the work of my life, I will never convince another person that I'm doing this for reasons that can enrich the world. They're going to always think you don't like my vagina. Yeah. And, th and this is a person, by the way, who is a honest to God, thoughtful, smart, well-educated, truly kind person who has given of himself, I'm going to guesstimate 
several million dollars into the adoption space over the years. A craziness. It's just crazy. Yeah. What I want to talk to you about with these Tuesday results, as opposed to the fucking polling, which I could honestly give two shits about. And I'm telling you, the 3,600 people who answered unknown numbers on their la- on their cell phones and then proceeded to tell them how mad they were about Joe Biden. And by the way, they oversampled the shit out of Republicans in the of whole thing. Of course they did. Of course, of course they, they did. did. But, you know, Dean Phillips needs needs the cash, and so does Steve Smith. But here's my question for you. <laughs> the you're, tempt, you're, you're trying to tempt me, aren't you, Molly? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so here's the question, though. When you're looking at Yunkin, one of the things I'm struck by, and I'm not sure we've seen the end of this, is that Yunkin said... I'm a moderate. I'm a mega moderate, right? Which is right. an oxymoron. Uh, at well, best. Yeah, well, how does that right. work? That's the biggest lie they have going. But right. I'm a mega moderate. But here's the thing. Voters were not fooled, right? And even like not a great a example bit. with Andy Boucher. Andy Boucher also ran against a quote unquote mega moderate, right? He was black. You know, he came from McConnell world. He was a little more mega moderate. He lost by more than Boucher won the last time. So I do think there's a real thing happening here where voters are not being fooled by the idea of a mega moderate. Discuss. First off, the idea of a mega moderate is like a vegan cannibal. It doesn't work. It's absurd. But Youngkin shopped himself as that. So Glenn Youngkin is advised by a guy named Jeff Rowe. Jeff Rowe (laughs) is the biggest Republican consultant in the country. Right. He makes a ton of money. He made $100 million and lost 11 races in 2022. That's the kind of hit rate that that's the Republican Party we like. Listen, I wish I had that track record. That would be (laughs) I I would cry all the way to the bank with that track (laughs) record. But he was Glenn Youngkin's consultant, still is Glenn Youngkin's consultant. He's also contemporaneously advising Ron DeSantis and has spent something like $80 million of Ron DeSantis's money to see Ron DeSantis crash in the polls. Good work, Jeff. (laughs) To see a whole discourse on does Ron DeSantis wear heels or not. Well, yeah, when you spend a week fighting about whether you wear drag boots, (laughs) you're not doing well as a campaign. You're not killing it. No, no, not good. So long story short, Molly, Jeff Rowe has been telling every major donor in the country and telling all these Republican activists, Youngkin can split the difference. He can go through the eye of the needle. He's the one who can get the MAGAs and get the the gentry Republicans. And it's all going to And then it turns out that because to get the MAGAs, you have to adopt a set of policy proposals, beliefs, worship of Donald Trump, a whole set of rituals and statements that voters hate. So no, Glenn, you can't get the MAGAs and still get the normies. It doesn't work that way. Again, it's like being a vegan cannibal. There is no world where you can cross the two streams. There's no world where... The horrific, grotesque, unacceptable nature of what the MAGA base wants, e.g., you know, stay home in the kitchen, honey. You're not pregnant again. It's been, it's been three, three weeks. <laughs> that shit. And all the craziness of conspiracies and immigration stuff. If you don't accept all of it, they will kill you. It's like, the, it's like those things in zombie movies where if people don't move too fast, the zombies won't see them. But to win anybody else outside of the MAGA base, you have to give away a signal and the MAGA base then will turn on you and destroy you. That's what happened to Yunkin. Well, I also think the problem is this is not a policy. Donald Trump is not running on policy and he never has been. This is not a policy proposition. This is a certain kind of personality proposition. 
for all of Donald Trump's 5,719,363 moral, personal, mental, social, ethical, political deficiencies, <laughs> Donald Trump has a kind yes. of crude, grunting charisma. And the people that love him love him because he's a dick. They love him because he's, I'm your retribution. Donald Trump is the human permission to say the N-word for his followers. He's the human permission to tell everybody else to fuck off and they'll burn it down if they don't get their way. And you know what? It's worked for him. It's worked as a political tool for him now for almost nine years. And I've been doing it since 2015, and I'm so old. <laughs> I feel like we just went right into, like, Rick Wilson therapy session. Like, we were like, and then he was like, and I'm so old. The thing about it is, no, there's no policy around Trump. It's all personality. It's all affect. It's all a show. It's all performance. And none of these other people can even get close to doing it. Because they don't have the charisma. I mean, ultimately, this is like it comes back to the weird truth about presidential races, which is the guy who you want to have a beer with wins. And for some God unknown reason, people in the Republic Party want to have a beer with the orange guy in the implanted wig. There has been a long time since Trump beat every Republican in 2016 where very smart people have sat in focus groups and sat in conference rooms and tried to devise the secret sauce. We're going to lure back the Republican base from Donald Trump. And this idea you can have some magical word or phrase that breaks the spell of Donald Trump is wrong. He's a necromancer. He is going to kill the party before he gives it up. And it's almost dead as it is. I mean, look, they have had consecutive election losses. If you take it in aggregate national scale, and that's Congress, Senate, state houses, state senates, local officials, they've lost almost 2,000 seats since 2016. They're smaller and weaker and crazier. And if redistricting wasn't so incredibly powerful, the Republicans would be basically a rump regional sort of political party, but they're not because of the Electoral College and redistricting. And so you know, that's why we're in a position where a madman who is promising to burn America to the ground has people going, that's what I want more of. <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> who do you think Trump picks as a vice president? Chill nominee candidate. My money right now. And I will tell you why my money's right now, because of the obvious makeover and the and the and the low cut blouses lately. And I mean that in the exactly the sexist way Donald Trump does. Right. Is Nancy Mace. Yeah. She's out there being like the biggest Trump girly. The two people inside the Republican Party who desperately want to be vice president, okay, who are obvious about it, who are campaigning for it every day are Elise Stefanik and Nancy Mace. Carrie Lake had her moment. And, you know, Trump said the money's on the nightstand. Get the fuck out. OK. Yeah. I was hoping we could plumb the depths of sexism. And I, I see we have. Yes. Continue well, you know on. what? Yes. I am channeling Donald Trump. No, no. I appreciate it. He was notoriously not um, not a man who has ever treated women with, with, shall we say, respect or fairness. But Stefanik and Mace right now are the two that everybody inside the GOP is talking about. Mace is trying to work it. Remember how they made Sarah Huckabee get a makeover when she was press secretary? Nancy Mace is doing the same thing. And she's like the wide-eyed makeup look and the whole big hair thing now. She's really working on him from what we're hearing. Like her people are like down at Mar-a-Lago. My goodness, Mr. Trump, you look handsome today. All the usual ass-kissing crap. Now, look, does South Carolina, if, he, if, he, if he's worried about South Carolina, it's not going to exactly help him. But it's amazing to me that Nancy Mace used to be on calls about Never Trump stuff with me back about five years ago. So good looking out, Nancy. Don't think I forgot. <laughs> Thank you, Rick Wilson. You are, as always, tremendously welcome. 
I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at PolicyGenius.com. With PolicyGenius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using PolicyGenius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. 
Jonathan Carl is the chief Washington correspondent for ABC News and author of Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. Welcome back to Fast Politics, John Carl. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Well, you write books very fast. So we have to have you back. But so let's talk about this book. It must be so strange. When you started this book, did you think that Trump would be the Republican frontrunner? The honest answer is no. I started this book thinking that I would be writing about the kind of sad demise of a disgraced former president. I was there, I describe in the book, I was there for his announcement in November of 2022 when he announced his third presidential campaign. And it was a pathetic affair. I mean, Nobody of any consequence from the Trump White House or even the other two Trump campaigns was there. Most of his family skipped the event. As you remember, Oka didn't show up. Don Jr. uh, apparently had some flight troubles, even though he been there just a couple of days earlier. You know, none of the former confirmed cabinet secretaries were there. None of his former chiefs of staff, none of his former press secretaries, none of his former campaign managers. It was as if they had all kind of washed their hands of him and thought that he was going to fade away. And it sure looked that way. But by the way, Molly, it got worse in the, in the coming weeks. If you remember, it was about uh, a week later that he dined with Kanye and Nick Fuentes. Uh, it was about a week or two after that that he said he would be proposed suspending the Constitution. If you look at the polls from... December of 2022, a month after he announced his presidential campaign, he was actually losing to Ron DeSantis, who hadn't even announced he was running yet. And he was losing pretty decisively. There was a Wall Street Journal poll that had DeSantis in the 50s and Trump at 38%. This did not look like a guy that was going to be the front runner for anything. Yeah. Let's talk about Ron DeSantis for a minute, because he could have been the Republican nominee. I mean, last January, it really seemed like he could have this. And he was running on this sort of Trumpism without the charisma, a sort of diluted, you know, sort of putting in policy that the sort of policies that Trump might have supported had he supported policies. Yeah. And and I, I think that there are multiple factors that have led to Trump going from being a disgraced former president on his way to oblivion to being the clear front runner for the Republican nomination. One of those things is the utter weakness of the Ron DeSantis campaign. <laughs> the appeal of Trump was never about policy. There are no real Trump policies. I mean, you know, he talks about the border. He talks about making our allies pay more for defense. If you spend any time with him uh, at the White House, he spent more time talking about his new color scheme for Air Force One. <laughs> he got very excited about yes, that. Yes, yes. You know, so here comes DeSantis. Trump is engaging. I mean, you people watch the guy. They want to know what's going to happen next. DeSantis, there's nothing keeping you glued to a, a Ron DeSantis speech. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I mean, he's the front runner. Last week he was in court. He acted out pretty crazily. We've never had a front runner who will spend the year he's running for president in and out of court facing 91 indictments. How do you cover this? How do you look down the barrel of a year of of what is so profoundly abnormal and also how profoundly abnormal he was as president? I don't think any of us really know 
what this is going to look like. But but I will tell you this because I, I just had to go back to make sure that the math was correct on this. But his testimony in New York in the civil case against his company was the eighth day that he has spent in that courtroom over the last month. So he has spent more days in court before any of these actual criminal indictments have gone to trial. This is the civil case against his company where he is not required to be there. He was required to testify, but he wasn't required to be there when Michael Cohen took the stand or his sons took the stands or any of that. And yet he spent more time in that courtroom than he spent on actual campaign events. And that will continue. I mean, it'll accelerate, likely. Obviously, their main legal strategy is to delay and postpone any trials until after the election. They're not going to be able to do that across the board. It sure seems like the January 6th federal case is going to happen in early 2024. That's a major trial. He's going to have to be in court. This is nothing approaching a traditional campaign. This is a guy who has spent very little time actually going out and doing the rallies that animated his campaigns in 2016 right. and 2020. He has spent much time either playing golf, meeting with his lawyers, or now in court. Yeah. Have you seen a shift in the rallies? I've read reporting that he's quieter in some rallies anyway, and that though I've seen both, and that there's this contradiction because these rallies are not as blusterous as they once were, at least some of them. And also there are less. And also his message is this bizarre message of retribution. So explain to me what to make of any of this. Well, the, the message is retribution. So one thing he didn't have when he launched last November was a coherent message. It was teleprompter Trump and they had, you know, encouraged him not to talk about the 2020 campaign, because if you remember, they had just come out of the midterms where Republicans had lost so decisively, especially the candidates that were obsessed with stop the steal in 2020. So he delivered this kind of mix of policy stuff that he doesn't care about and has little interest in and a few old stories. I mean, it was a really dull and lackluster speech. But as the indictments approached, he found a new message. And I think Steve Bannon, uh, his former chief strategist, was a big part of helping him find this message. And that message is, in the words of his uh, CPAC speech earlier uh, this year, I am your retribution. This is a campaign of retribution against his enemies. And he's not really talking about the Democrats here. In some cases, he's not even really talking about the prosecutors. He's talking about Republicans who have dared tried to get in his way or haven't been sufficiently loyal. It's an odd message for a presidential campaign. It has very little to do with the concerns of most voters right now, which are questions about the economy, real concerns about Biden and his abilities going forward. This is a weird message of let's go out and destroy our enemies. His first yeah. campaign rally, which I devoted some time to, and, and, and it was months after his announcement, but his first actual rally was in Waco, Texas. As Steve Bannon told me when I called him, I said, Waco, are you kidding me? What? Branch Davidians? What? And his answer was, we are the Trump Davidians. Yikes. Do two seconds on the Branch Davidians for those who don't remember. The Branch Davidians were a cult 
whose headquarters uh, called Mount Carmel was was in Waco. They had a legendarily awful showdown uh, with federal law enforcement. The uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms had commenced a seizure of Waco because they believed that the group was stockpiling weapons. And the siege lasted for some time. And as federal law enforcement encircled the place. They eventually went in and there was a massive inferno and more than 50 people were killed. Very strange thing to say we are the Trump Davidians given what happened there. But Waco became this symbol to the far right of government, of a government out of control, of government out to get its people. So it, it spawned a whole movement of armed militia groups who felt that they needed to uh, stockpile weapons, do some basic training in in parking lots and and in and in, and out in the woods, uh, just in case the feds came after them, they would be ready to fight back for real. Um, one of those inspired by all this was Timothy McVeigh, who a year after Waco, a year to the day after the inferno in Waco, bombed the federal building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people, the deadliest domestic uh, terrorist attack in American history. So this is a strange place to begin your presidential campaign. Now, when you when you talk to the Trump people it, as, as the data approach, they said, oh, no, it's just a coincidence. We're going to Texas because Texas is an important state. As you know, Molly, Texas is not an important state in the Republican primary process. It's it's not a battleground state in the general election. There's no reason to have your, have your launch at Texas. And if you're going to be in Texas, Waco's, I mean, it's quite a coincidence to be in, in Waco. So to hear Bannon who is really the guy who I think has given Trump this new message that has given a rebirth to his third presidential campaign, to hear him just declare, we are the Trump Davidians. It is not by accident. It is because Trump, this new message to portray our own federal government as the true enemy, the deep state, anybody who is can be portrayed as going after Trump. It's such a scary idea, right? Because it does feel, and again, you know, we can't ever talk about what's in people's hearts and minds, but it certainly feels like this is sort of playing on the kind of anti-government impulses that could really turn dangerous. There's no question. I mean, we saw the anti-government impulses turn dangerous on January 6th, obviously. We also saw them turn dangerous in, you know, shortly after the FBI did the search at Mar-a-Lago, when you saw a gunman go into an FBI field office in Ohio, the undertones of violence are all there. I, at another point, I talked to everybody around Trump and the, and the writing of, of this book to try to understand where they were coming from and what they were doing. And Bannon spoke to me for quite a bit on the record. And, and one state, one, one thing he said to me really stood out, which is, I asked him, aren't you worried that all of this will lead to violence? Yeah. And without missing a beat, his answer was no, because we are going to win. Yes, it's really scary. And the apocalyptic way in which this election is described by Trump, you know, he called this, he says, 2024 is our final battle. I mean, it sounds like they're building up for something bigger than January 6th. You know that... If this all ends in a Trump loss, either in the Republican primary, which I think is still possible, by the way, or in a general election, it's not going to end with a Trump concession. No, he's never conceded to anything ever. And he never will. 
tell me why you think he could still not get the nomination, because that's totally fascinating. Because I think that he is incredibly volatile, more volatile than he has ever been. I think he is more divorced from reality than he has ever been. We just don't know how he's going to react as we head into the actual criminal trials. I think that those are necessarily what's, you know, there's one theory that, you know, these Republicans that will vote for an indicted presidential candidate won't vote for a convicted one. I'm not sure that's true. But look, I don't think that people have paid much attention to Trump over the past two and a half years. That may sound strange to say. No, I think that's completely right. You know, the trials have gotten all kinds of attention and we've all, you know, January 6 hearings and all that. But Trump himself and what he has been up to and what he's talking about now and where his head is at. He spent a good chunk of the two years after he left, two years after he left the White House, truly pursuing this insane QAnon notion that there was a way that Joe Biden would be evicted from the White House, that the 2020 election would be somehow overturned even after it was certified, even after the inauguration, after all of that, and that he would go back into the White House before the next presidential election. I first saw some of this stuff, just, you know, the kind of whack jobs like Mike Lindell. And I mean, Trump, I learned as I was seeing, what is he up to? What's he talking to people? What's going on behind the walls in Mar-a-Lago? And he was, you know, tracking the the cyber ninjas uh, recount out in Arizona, like it was really something that was going to overturn the election results there. I mean, we're talking long after the election's over. This is crazy stuff. And that it was going to lead to this kind of domino effect in the other states and that he was going to be back in the White House. So, and, and now you see, you know, just the other day, a speech in Texas, he's talking about the people that are, that have been convicted of attacking police officers on January 6th, of breaking into the U.S. Capitol building. He's talking about them as hostages now. He says that they're not, they're not prisoners, they're hostages. He is more divorced from reality than he was on January 6th. And I don't think that the polls in any way reflect that. I don't I don't think even the vast majority of Republican primary voters are quite aware of what Trump has become. And as you get closer, there will need to be more scrutiny. There'll need to be more coverage. I mean, Fox stopped covering him. This is not yeah. just the so-called mainstream media. I mean, you know, Fox basically turned away from him. And that actually helped him because people didn't see. I think that's such a great point. And I also think that Fox actually did him a favor. We don't know, you know, obviously who is to know what's happening in the hearts and minds of the Fox empire where it stands now. But I do think that as we talk about this, I mean, when you watch these rallies that aren't getting that much coverage, the thing I've been bringing up recently is this idea he confused Jeb Bush with W. Bush. Like it wasn't even, you know, he said he ran against the guy who started the Iraq war. So there certainly does seem like he has time lapse problems that he's never had before. I mean, he thinks that the guy he ran against was Obama. I mean, he's it's right. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, the the, the mental acuity is not solely a uh, question that Biden has to address, but it's more than that. It's this extreme agenda. It's an agenda. I think a lot of what is driving the polls, you know, all these kind of hypothetical, which doesn't seem so hypothetical anymore, uh, Trump 
Biden rematch uh, polls, whether it be the the New York Times battleground state, you know, polls over the weekend, or you know, any number of the general election matchups, which show that Trump is either tied with Biden or beating Biden. A lot of that is based on the fact that the overwhelming majority of Americans think the country's on the wrong track. This is not some well, this people suddenly think you know Trump is the savior. But I've spent a fair amount of time in Iowa. With uh, with with the various candidates, I've been at some Trump events. I've been at some DeSantis events. You know how notoriously unreliable polling in the Iowa caucuses has been over the years, especially month, a couple of months out. It really wouldn't surprise me uh, to see Trump not win in Iowa. And then the question is: given this volatility, given where his head is at, and given that he'll be staring down the beginning of his uh, of his first uh, special counsel trial, how does he react to that? How do Republican voters react to his reaction? I mean, again, we'll see. He certainly, look, he's the overwhelming frontrunner, obviously. He's talked about by most people as the presumptive uh, nominee. It's almost like he's an incumbent, but I am not convinced. John, I hope you will come back. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Molly. It's great to talk to you. Brian Stelter is the author of Network of Lies, the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the battle for American democracy. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Brian Stelter. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. The book is called Network of Lies, but I love this excerpt in Rolling Stone with Laura Ingram on the Fox News division. They aren't smart. Just explain to us where that comes from. It comes from this amazing treasure trove of materials that Dominion Voting Systems obtained through its lawsuit against Fox. That treasure trove is why I had to write this book. I was not out there looking to write about Fox anymore. I was enjoying my time off after you know, being ousted from CNN. I, I've been living the dream, Molly. I told you about that last time we talked. But then these emails and text messages surfaced through the Dominion case, and they were so damning and so revealing. I have never seen a media company exposed like this on the record before. So, yeah, you have Laura Ingram complaining, bitching and moaning about the journalists of Fox, the correspondents saying they're not smart, Hannity doing the same thing. The serious people, right? Like the foreign <laughs> policy people. Right. You, you have you have these primetime stars saying the news division breaks no news ever, Hannity says. They hate all three of us. And you know what? Hannity wasn't wrong. The tension was very real and the tension still is very real between the propagandists and the people who, yeah, they come from a conservative point of view. Yeah, they're flawed. But at least they're trying to be in the news business. No, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And I would love it if you could just talk about that more. There are these people, right? They are kind of known, you know, some of them are very, very good even. You know, there are real reporters in that network. Yeah, I would say there are fewer and fewer every year, but there are some people still putting up a fight. Jackie Heinrich is one of them. She's a White House correspondent. I write about the text messages disparaging her. And you have Hannity saying she's a 27-year-old fake reporter wrecking our network. You know, he wants to fight with these people. He wants to fight with his own colleagues. And by the way, the head of Fox News, Suzanne Scott, she sides with the 
opinion people. She sides with the propagandists, the, the big liars of the big lie. She sides with them over the reporters. There, there's a remarkable email that I think kind of got missed in the initial coverage last spring. Remember when Dominion and Fox settled? Some of these emails and texts came out and there was some attention around it. But because I, I spent months reconstructing this and going through all the emails, I, I found these other examples that were just mind-blowing to me. You had Suzanne Scott, the head of Fox News, saying that a fact check, some random reporter fact-checking Hannity and fact-checking Trump was, quote, bad for business. It has to stop. Like, it was that kind of stuff that was going on inside Fox where the, the management was siding with the liars over the truth-tellers. Because it's for ratings. Because it's for ratings. And it's for profits. I would say, ultimately, Suzanne Scott, you know, she has to hit her profit targets, keep the money flowing in. And here's the kind of sad but true part of the story. It worked. She worked. They succeeded. You know, Fox's audience bounced back. The network remains the beating heart of the GOP for better and for worse, oftentimes for worse. It does feel like Fox is a little bit quieter lately. I think that is because of Tucker Carlson's ouster. And that's how Fox wants it. Fox wanted to lower the volume. Lachlan Murdoch wanted to lower the volume because he thinks, and again, it goes back to the profit targets. He thinks it's better for business to be, you know, a little less scandalous, a little less controversial. I, I hesitate to say this, Molly, because when I look at the network, I see scandalous and misinformation all the time, right? There, there is nonsense on the air on any given day. There's a whole lot to fact check. You know, you could have an entire department trying to debunk the, the BS on Fox every day. But that said, at least Tucker Carlson's not on the air doing what Tucker Carlson did. You know what I mean? There is a marked change from what happened when Tucker was there. Yeah, it's still the lie, right? It's just the lie is quieter. You're not seeing sort of your friends. I mean, the thing I was always shocked by was you would just see people like Ben Collins or Taylor or this one or that one just, you know, Tucker would just go after them and say these insane things. And then they're, you know, they'd have to basically go into hiding. Maybe this is the wrong analogy. I haven't tried it out before, but it's the difference between like an F and a D minus. You know, like Fox is still failing, right. but it's not doing it in as explosive and in crazy a way. And I think that's intentional on the part of Laughlin and Suzanne Scott. They want the tone to be slightly different so that the likes of uh, Media Matters uh, or, you know, uh, Morning Joe are not talking about them as much. And again, that, I think that's the strategy. If that's true, right, they're trying to be sort of quieter, but still run this sort of thing. The sort of the tension is make Trump happy, but don't make Trump too happy. <laughs> oh, the Trump-Fox relationship is so twisted and it keeps getting more and more and more twisted because I would argue, you know, Fox is fundamentally in Trump's camp. They think they're better at being Trump than Trump. Like they think they do Trumpism better than Trump, you know. And there's a there's a conflict there for sure. Trump will never be satisfied with what he hears and sees on Fox. It's not in his DNA to be satisfied by the media coverage of his campaign. But that said, Fox is doing him tremendous favors every day, whether he wants to admit that and see that or not. Like what? I think every day Fox is accepting his status as the likely nominee. I think Fox is not putting up the roadblocks that we saw a year, year or two ago you know, where there was a lot of attention and promotion of Ron DeSantis, there is an acceptance of Trump. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, the, <laughs> do you think I'm crazy to say that? No. Fox could put up more of a fight, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Ultimately, Trump is the leader and Fox is just the follower. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yes, he rants about Fox on Truth Social. Yes, he complains. But he also gives interviews to the network. 
And he may not admit this, but it's clear to me, Fox is doing him favors every day. They're helping him. They're supporting him in so many ways. I had a source say to me as I was finishing the book, and so I added this at the very end, a Murdoch family friend saying to me, Rupert hates Trump. He can't believe we're going to end up back with Trump. But the thing about that quote, it was so frustrating when I heard, I believe it's true. I think that is the, the true posture of Rupert Murdoch and his son, Lachlan. They've, they've accepted Trump as going to be the nominee most likely. But Fox's programming moves and rhetorical postures, they're not resisting. They're accommodating. You know, they're not putting up a fight. They're going along with this, you know, the sequel. Isn't that because they think, at least again, I don't want to give anyone any credit here, but basically <laughs> they did sort of try after January 6th and the viewers were like, mm, no, we're going along with Trump. That's right. I, I think it's important to recognize when Trump perceives that Fox was against him, he's right. That's not a conspiracy theory. There was a conspiracy. Um, Rupert Murdoch said, and we now know it thanks to the Dominion treasure trove, he said, we want to make Trump a non-person. We're pivoting away from Trump. There was a great email I found from Suzanne Scott to Rupert in the weeks after January 6th saying Hannity is, is going to lead the 75 million away from Trump, meaning those 75 million voters that voted for Trump, Hannity is going to lead them away from Trump. This was very much a concerted effort inside Fox, but it fizzled. It fizzled. He couldn't do it. He wasn't more powerful than Trump. Ultimately, I suppose that's right. Although there's a part of me that thinks if Fox was more reality based, if the hosts were held accountable by the management, I think there could have been a very different path. But once they got to that point, they couldn't pull it back. If Fox viewers heard every day a more truthful account of what Trump is and what he says and what he represents, if there was a focus on the most incendiary and dangerous comments he makes, as opposed to, you know, like a frat boy party atmosphere when talking about Trump. If there was a more reality-based assessment of Trump by right-wing media, we might be in a different place. But I understand that that's an impossibility. Yeah. It's interesting, though. Tell me about what you see now at CNN, because I'm curious. So much has happened at that network. I'm curious what your take is since you've been in it, you've been out of it, you've been in it. What's your take? My take is that CNN is firing all cylinders. You know, I, I think CNN, MSNBC and NBC, ABC, CBS, with this election, there's going to be networks that are reality based and networks that are not. And, you know, it seems to me CNN is, is right, in, right in the place it should be, saying the truth about what's happening. I think some of the attempts last year, which, again, I only I, I perceive just like you from the outside, attempts to to show that the, the network was open to Trump. That was obviously very fraught, very stressful for, for staffers who felt like they weren't able to, to speak truth to power. But it feels to me and maybe I'm wrong. It feels to me that that period or that phase, whatever that was, is over. That's just me as a viewer. But I think when it comes to Trump or other wannabe autocrats, networks like CNN have to be louder than the liars. And that's what I think CNN was doing in the Trump years. That's what I think hosts uh, like Chris Truly were trying to do. We weren't always getting it right, but we were trying to be louder than the liars. And we were trying to speak truth to power. And that's what I see CNN doing now. And you don't feel like there's still a sort of, like Trump is not a normal Republican candidate, but he does seem like he's being largely treated that way. I guess I might take that comment and turn it around and say Trump now is the normal Republican Party. And that's the story, perhaps, is that he is now what the party is. I mean, I agree with that to a certain extent. But like, I think you and I can both agree that if you elected a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley, I mean, certainly those two people are very problematic with very problematic views, but they will not end democracy with quite the same zeal as a Donald Trump. 
there's definitely a market difference. Right. I mean, Donald Trump is planning to execute Mark Milley. I mean, this is not normal stuff. Maybe Vivek would also execute Mark Milley. He did call um, Zelensky a Nazi. So and he is Jewish. That's pretty disgusting. But he doesn't have a sort of plan to kill people who were in his administration. You may have made me speechless, Molly, because when you say it that way, you know, it makes it makes me think. I mean, I just don't know how you horse race this when he is clearly planning something that we've never seen. Well, part of me wonders if what we're seeing is just very, very early stage coverage because there have not been votes yet, because we have not had primaries yet. I would like to think, I would like to hope, I would like to believe that there will be more intensive and more challenging coverage of those claims of Trump's plans in 2024, you know, when there's an actual primary season. But that might let the media off the hook to say that we're still in the pregame mode because all of this, as you said, is actively happening. I'm thinking about Margaret Sullivan's really good piece today. We saw this polling, again, 3,000 people, six states, but they are the six states that matter, you know, saying that Trump had better mental acuity. It doesn't matter how acute you are if you are sending people to Gitmo because they drew an unflattering court sketch of you. I mean, I think that the gravity of what Donald Trump is has not been accurately explained to people who read the mainstream media. And that is a problem. I'm with you, but I think the bigger problem is that the likes of Fox and Newsmax don't even flinch. When they hear about some of these stories, don't even bother to spend the time unpacking it. And then the, the even more troubling part is there's a lot of Americans who apparently want what Trump is selling. He's a charismatic charlatan. Who even cares if he's a psychopath or not? He's a charlatan. He's shopping something that the American people, some of the American people think they want. What I'm struck by, though, if we're going to journey back to 2016, 2015, is that, you know, you'd watch those rallies and they would be so unhinged. But the thing that he would offer people that Hillary would not And obviously, I'm not too siding this, voted for Hillary. But the thing that I think is really relevant is he was offering people something, right? He was saying, come with me. I will bring your jobs back. I will do this. I will do that. He didn't do any of those things. But these people, nobody like explained to them that he didn't do any of those things, right? So isn't that a failing on the mainstream media? Like he says, and even now he'll say, you know, we're going to build a wall with Mexico. Actually, we've already built it. And it's there, right? We've already built it and it's there. Okay. And then now Congress, Mike Johnson is like, we need to get going on this wall. Who are the people who are supposed to tell Donald Trump to tell Donald Trump's people that there is no wall? Right. I mean, I think this gets to more of a a profound psychological problem. And that's maybe why I'm less critical of the media and more interested in what's going on in people's brains about this. Like, I end Network of Lies with this quote from a guy that was at the Iowa State Fair in August. Trump had just been indicted again. So an NBC reporter came up to this guy named Jeff, a school custodian in Iowa, and said, do you care that he's been indicted four times? And and the man said, no, it just makes me want to vote for him more. And the reporter said, why? And the man said, and this to me is the whole ballgame, he said, because whoever the Democrats hate is who I like. And I, I think we need to cover politics more through that prism and less through the, you know, who's who's spending the most money. I mean, it's all important. Who's spending the most money? What are the policy positions? All that's important. But I think it's like we need more we need more psychologists on television <laughs> to explain this to us. 
Because what we're going through is, is a battle of the soul and the heart and the brain. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no fact check that's going to change his, his, his thinking about politics. I mean, yes, except that he doesn't understand that the Trump's legal problems are of Trump's own making and not of the Democratic Party's own making. Right. But no amount of reporting or fact checking or narrative debunking or, or anything is going to is going to get through to a wide swath of voters who only trust Jesse Waters and only trust Eric Bowling and only trust Eric Carlson. Again, when we were talking about this earlier, I mean, you did say that if Eric Bowling and Tucker Carlson and Greg Gutfeld, explanation point, I mean, if they were to go on television and say, like, look, here are the other Republicans and Democrats who have committed fraud with their accounting, and this is what happened to them, right? I mean, part of it is there's a certain lack of knowledge where people don't understand that there's precedent for all of this stuff, right? Like if you leak classified documents, even if you're just showing off at a dinner, you go to jail, no matter who you are, right? I mean, think of all the military generals and the captains and the lower level people even who ended up spending the rest of their lives in jail because they took a document that they weren't supposed to and sent it to someone. I mean, I do think there's a lack of explanation here about precedent. And what you said before is if the right-wing media were able to, you know, if they just explained this, Again and again and again, people would get it. And that and that is why, like in Network of Lies, I come to this idea of followers versus leaders that people think Fox is leading. I think Fox should be leading. I think Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch have a, an ethical and moral responsibility to 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 share truthful information to, to an audience that is is starving for truth. However, Fox is not leading. They're just following. People think they're leaders. They think they're in the driver's seat and they're actually the passenger. And that's why the car keeps crashing, right? That's why the car keeps crashing because they're not driving. They should be driving. But that said, there's going to be a moment where there's going to be a trial and there's going to be a verdict. And in that moment, the verdict will be read and people will hear it. Maybe that matters still, right? Because that's, that's to your point about classified information. Maybe the verdict will still matter. Or maybe the propagandists will just shout so loudly that people can, can ignore the verdict and tell themselves they're going to tell themselves. Brian Stelter, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I don't know if this made us feel better or worse, but it's important to talk about. <laughs> and now your moment of fuckery. Rick Wilson, you are our special fuckery guest. I try to always bring the fuckery. Yes. Um. All right. Listen, uh, this is a sort of not national politics fuckery, but I have to say it. I really thought New York could not have a worse mayor than Bill de Blasio. <laughs> oh, and yet yeah. somehow, what so the fuck? I feel attacked. How is it that your mayor has somehow gotten swept up in an FBI raid about Turkish influence money? I mean, get the fuck out of here. What is going on? My favorite part of the story is that no one is surprised. Literally, if you live in New York, the fact that they took our mayor's cell phone, that the FBI decided they needed to confiscate both his cell phone and his iPads, there is not a person who we know, Jesse Cannon, do you know anyone who was surprised by that bit? Absolutely not. Look, I'm not surprised. I'm just fascinated. Like, how is it that he combines, like, so much obvious griftiness and incompetence and tone deafness in one package early in his, in his term? It really does amaze me. The mayoral curse, it's real, man. It's real. Listen, as a former senior advisor to the mayor of New York City... <laughs> 
Rudolph W. Giuliani. <laughs> Who makes them all look pretty good. And by the way, I'm no fan of Rudy Giuliani. Rudy's problem is the mayoral curse and the everything Trump touches dies curse yeah. had a dirty weekend <laughs> oh. and produced the single worst set of outcomes for any individual. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> oh, you want to know what my moment of fuckery is? I do. I was just going to ask. It is the laddered CR. So MAGA Mike Johnson, <laughs> the Speaker of the House. It's How's about, that going to work out there, boy? <laughs> it's about Good to luck, be Thanksgiving. Mike. He's already shopped this idea that he's going to do this laddered CR. Everyone, including, I think Mitch McConnell told him to shut the fuck up. Once again, when Mitch McConnell is the most serious person in Washington, and the Republicans hate him more than they hate Chuck <laughs> Schumer or Hakeem <laughs> Jeffries. <laughs> Look, I'm not standing for Mitch McConnell. I'm just saying, may he live at least another year to continue torturing Mike Johnson. <laughs> I'm not sure that he weighed in on this, but everyone else has weighed in and said that a laddered CR is a last minute patch to keep the government from shutting down. Mike Johnson said, we're going to do it in a laddered way so it keeps coming up at different times to make everyone come back from vacation. Not only do Republicans hate it, Democrats hate it, everyone hates it. We are like seven more days of government funding until a shutdown, right? I was also told by a donor about this. He guys sent me an email this morning. He said, you understand that the rating agencies will lose their fucking minds if he does this. Is it nobody? It's madness. It's madness. So, and by the way, I would like to point out the Republicans who were so pro-Israel and obsessed with Israel, no funding. They have done no funding nope, to Israel. Not a so damn thing. If you think they give a shit about anyone, you're wrong. I think we're going to see a government shutdown or somebody's going to scramble or five Republicans are going to vote with the Democrats. It seems unlikely to me. This was inevitable when Johnson was elected speaker, the rule that would kill him if Matt Gates <laughs> or any of these other morons gets a hard on to say, I don't like him anymore. He's voting for them big libtard budgets. He'll go. The one person motion to vacate is still there. We're ungovernable. That's really something you want to hear from your from, from the leaders of the of the body of uh, the legislative body that represents the vast majority of the American people. Good luck. And that is our moment of fuckery. Thank you, Rick Wilson. As always, I am delighted to be with you and I will see you again next week here on Fast Politics. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.